Okay, so the, uh, the question or the statement, whichever way you prefer it, was uh, Jesus isn't the only way, or if you like a question, is Jesus the only way? So I'm going to spend uh, quite a large proportion of my time here not answering the question, okay? Um, and that, that's, um, that's not because uh, I don't like the question or I don't like questions, but I think all questions are great, genuinely. All questions are great. There's no question we can't consider here and wrestle with. Um, but it's more that, um, and, and maybe this gets a little bit to next week, so I don't want to jump into next week about all those nice hypocritical self-centered, whatever it was, judgmental Christians. Um, but I think the best somebody like me can do is to help sort of stimulate and shape a conversation you're already having, a discussion you're already having. The last thing you need is some bloke like me standing up on a 20-minute monologue, because unless there's a lot of heckling to come, it is basically a monologue. That's not a challenge, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, because actually, hopefully, this can just help inform a little bit of conversation that with your mates or your family you're having around the dinner table over a cup of tea or coffee or in the pub or whatever. So if I can help contribute to that, that, that would be great. Um, but firstly, um, and, and, and this is not me just trying to shirk my responsibility to actually offer something, but I'm just kind of a bit interested to know how you feel when a question like that is, is put up. If I say the question of Jesus or the statement, Jesus isn't the only way, or is Jesus the only way? And there's a bloke like me that's going to stand here and talk to you about it. So what are the emotions? I'm not looking for the answer to the question. You can shout out, that might help me. Um, but how do you feel? You know, on the spectrum of, you know, frankly, I'd rather be on the moon. This can only end badly. Um, I wish I was watching the football. I don't know. Very awkward. Okay, that's cool. Very awkward. Do we, do we, can I, can I, can somebody rise, you know, like an auction, a, a very awkward? <laughs> Terrified. Excellent. Wow, yeah, we're, we don't have to go up and up. We can. <laughs> Interested, okay. Yeah, the English and the word interesting is always interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Euphemism. For, but yeah, cool. Interested? Any, anybody else? Excellent. Yeah, thought, mm, not sure why I'm here. That's okay. Um, <laughs> Maybe telling other people the answer feels arrogant. Ah, yeah, okay. Certainty, yeah. And I think that's an, interesting, that's an interesting point, which jumps into next week, which will lead to next week. You know, meeting somebody with unswerving certainty on a subject, that can be a fun experience, can't it? Okay, and it's just helpful, because it's just, it's just helpful for me to just get a feel for, for, for where you're coming. So, you know, I didn't hear a whole host of, you know, ecstatic joy, I've never been happier, um, can't, can't wait, could this go on all night, you know. Um, okay, so, and then, a little, maybe a little bit, a little bit playing to that, um, on a question like this, or an issue like this, um, I like to issue a bit of a health warning, 
And it's not because there's anything wrong with a question, as I've already said, or it's not good because it's not good to ask questions. But the first reason I'd like to issue a bit of a health warning is this, is that I think your response to the answer to this question won't be driven by the answer. Okay, just get the cogs turning, okay? Your response to the answer to this question won't be driven by the answer. Okay? Because I think your, your and my response to the answer is actually driven by the spirit in which we ask the question. And I'll come on to illustrate that. So actually, I think the spirit in which we ask the question is actually the driver of the response. It's the first health warning, because if you're thinking about maybe that can help in your own reflections and discussions, but also when you're talking to other people about this kind of thing. What's the spirit with which people approach the question? And the second thing that leads me just to sort of put a bit of a health warning out there, because this is all stuff to think about before you even get into the subject, is I don't think the answer to the question is the most important thing. I don't think the answer to the question is the most important thing. The most important thing is what you do with the answer. The most important thing is what you do with the answer. So if you went back, if we went back to the second book of Genesis, we'd meet a bloke called Adam walking around in the Garden of Eden, this paradise created by God, if you look at the world from a biblical perspective, and if you don't, but at least it's an explanation, this is a bit of an explanation of, of how people who do look at the world from a biblical, biblical perspective, how they look at things. Adam's walking around in paradise. He's walking around having a chin wag with God, God and um, the issue comes up. See, there's this tree in the middle of the garden and it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And my counsel to you, says God, is don't eat from it. It's a fact. It's a bit of information. It's an, answer to, it's, a, it's an answer to the question, what is that tree? The issue is, what did Adam do with that information? Because ultimately, he made a pretty catastrophic decision that impacted negatively his relationship with God and pretty much every generation since. And then I reflect on these two health warnings that about a thousand years ago, there were a group of people who thought they knew the answer to this question. And they gathered their tribe around them, they took their weapons of war, and they marched off to a land that today we call the Middle East. And then they brought warfare to the people they found there. And they had their own version of the cry, God wills it, as they went into battle. And they called it the Crusades. A thousand years later in the 21st century, there's another group of people who've gathered their tribe around them. They raise a black flag over the same territory we call the Middle East, and they bring war to those around them in the same land we call the Middle East on people that have a different perspective to theirs. That they have their own version of God wills it. So those are just a couple of examples of why I think it's so important to think about the spirit in which people ask a question, and the fact that a piece of isolated information in and of itself, is it the most important thing, or is it what you do with it? 
Now, my point of reference for everything I'm saying this evening is the book of John. Um, All 21 chapters of it, the fourth book of the New Testament. So we have the option to read it now, um, but on balance, (laughs) um, what I did do is I simply commend it to you. So I'm not going to be quoting extensively from scriptures to try and impress you with my encyclopedic biblical knowledge um, because it wouldn't really work. Um, But it's all 21 chapters of the book of John. Now, the thing about the book of John is he is not writing from a point of objectivity. He has a very clear agenda. And actually, if you look at chapter 20, verse 30, in the Bible I've got, but if you were here this morning, you'll realise that, you know, there's a, there's, every, there's a translation for every, every type of person that exists, and they all say kind of different things around the same theme. But there's a little heading in the Bible I've got which says, the purpose of John's gospel. And John is really clear when he says, this is obviously paraphrasing, um, or it's a guy translation, um, is, look, there's loads of stuff Jesus did that I haven't recorded in this book, because otherwise it would be a very long book. Um, But I've recorded all this stuff so that you may know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. And I'm telling you that so that, A, you've got the option to believe so that you may have life. Now, the critical thing that I just want to draw attention to in that verse is the bit, so that you may believe, you may believe, so that you may have life. Because then I return to the themes I've already mentioned. You know, it's possible to take a piece of information, two people can look at the same information, and very different paths can emerge from that same piece of information. So the issue is not about belief so that you can then get into a game of top trumps of my religion is better than yours. Okay? Um, that sort of thing ends up with a crusade. It's to believe so that you may have life. And that is a subject I think is worth exploring. And we're not going to get to the end of that story in 20 minutes with me rabbiting at you. I just offer it to you. So I'm going to tell you um, a story uh, about believing and having life. And maybe believing and not having life. Because I think that's at the heart of this. So, in the 1990s, in a place called Kensington, Philadelphia. Now, Kensington, Philadelphia is not at all like Kensington, London, okay? So if you imagine whatever the opposite is of Kensington, London, you've got Kensington, Philadelphia. In fact, local people used to say, actually, much like they did of a place called Nazareth, nothing good ever comes out of Kensington, Philly. Now, there was a bunch of college students whose college happened to be about just 20 minutes' drive away from Kensington, Philadelphia. And they were sitting having, having their lunch in the cafeteria, doing what students do, complaining about the food and then going up for more. And in amongst all of this, one of their crowd came in and smacked on the table the local newspaper, and it had a headline on it. The church kicks the homeless out of the church. What's going on? So these college students, well, this is kind of interesting. So they looked at this. And they read this story about an abandoned Catholic 
Cathedral, St. Ed's, St. Edward's, everybody called it St. Ed's, in Kensington, Philadelphia. Now, quick aside here, I am telling a true story about some events around the Catholic Church in Kensington, Philadelphia. This is not me having a pop at the Catholic Church because it could happen to the Church of England, could happen to any group of people anywhere. Okay? So I just want to get that clear. But it is a true story. So, okay, they thought, what's going on? And this was a story about 40 homeless families who'd been living in a tented city or tented sort of area about a kilometre away from this place in Ed's, this abandoned Catholic cathedral, which is called St Ed's. But the place had got flooded and rats running around everywhere. The kids were getting bitten by the rats. Um, there was no proper sanitation. And they'd been looking around this place, Kensington, just to find somewhere to stay. They'd been looking at abandoned warehouses and da-da-da-da-da. And then they found this abandoned Catholic cathedral. And they moved in. And they'd just been served with a 48-hour notice by the archdiocese of the Catholic Church to say if they didn't get out, they would be evicted. What are we going to do, the students say. Let's go and have a look, see what's going on. Cash poor, time rich. They caught a bus, they went down, had a look. They knocked on the doors and they said hello to the families and got to know some of the people there over two or three hours. They went back to their college and they said, we've got to do something. So they wrote out all these posters, they belted around the college campus saying, Jesus, Jesus had been kicked out of the church, the homeless had been kicked out of the church, come and find all that, find out about it, 10 o'clock tonight. And they thought about five or six of their more weird friends might turn up um, and that would be it. <coughs> Over 100 students piled in to the cafeteria to hear what was going on. And at the end of that sort of meeting, they decided that a group of them would, would go down and stand with the families uh, and stand with them when the deadline came, just to see if they could support them. So that's what they did. So the next day, now of course, actually as it turned out, quite a lot of the local people that used to go to the Catholic Church there, the cathedral before it was closed down, had been really upset by the decision of the hierarchy to close it. They, were, they started to bring food parcels to the families and the kids. Then the students turned up, bringing whatever they could, and played with the kids and had some fun. Then, of course, the media got hold of it, because it's kind of like a cool headline, isn't it? Church kicks the homeless out. And when they got down there for the second time, they were greeted the next day by this big, kind of like one of those banners. One of the big banners was hanging over the uh, church, which said, how can you worship a homeless man on a Sunday and ignore him on a Monday? Cool headline. And um, the media were there, some of the families were there. Um, and actually, as it happened, the local mafia had got hold of the story. They brought a load of um, toys for the kids to help them along. And now, actually, I, look, I think it's quite cool if God can use the mafia. I mean, I mean personally, I just much prefer if the church stepped forward, but, you know, if the church aren't there, then, then maybe the mafia will do it. <laughs> Um, and there they were. And then the cars drew up with the Catholic hierarchy and the, lo the local government officials and a few policemen, and they took one look at about 300 people, the press, all waiting for them. They got back in their cars and they left. <laughs> now, this went on for a few days and a few weeks. And then the archdiocese and the Catholic Church got, you know, they weren't mugs. They were quite smart. So they called in the fire department. And they said, could you do an inspection of the cathedral, please? 
And that's quite good tactics if you're in that sort of game, isn't it? Because, look, sorry, but it's just not safe. So for your own good, you're going to have to go, sort of thing. So again, this was a couple of weeks later. There was 48 hours. They were saying, look, the inspector's coming on this date. He's going to do a fire inspection. And if it doesn't pass, you're out this time for your own good. Um, and we're coming um, with sufficient resources, which generally means police, doesn't it, and bailiffs, to get you out. So the students are down there thinking, well, not much we can do, but we'll stand with them again. And anyway, it's about 10 o'clock at night on the night before the inspection, the day before the inspection, the night before the inspection. And they're playing, and then there's this knock, knock, knock on these big doors. And they go, God, what's that? And everybody's a bit nervous and a bit edgy. They think, ah, they played a fast one. They've sent them down early. Catch us unawares. They're going to kick us out. Anyway, they go down to these big doors, and they open them a crack, and there's a whole load of them behind their door. To... And then outside, they see two fully clothed firemen, helmets, you know, the full kit. Um, and they think, oh, they've come. There's all this shoving and pushing and shouting. And the firemen are going, no, let us in. It's all right. Uh. Anyway, eventually they can hear the firemen going, look, calm down, calm down, calm down. And then it emerges. The firemen say, Listen, let us in. We're here unofficially. And if the fire department find out we're here, then we might well likely get sacked. But we know what's going on here isn't right. So let us in and we'll see what we can do to help you. So they came in, they did a tour of the cathedral, there were also some outbuildings that were there, and they told them exactly what to do. Clear that exit, put this up, clear that, you need to put smoke detectors here, da 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 So get working on clearing this place up, by this time it's 11 o'clock at night, we'll be back in an hour. Two hours later they come back, they're armed, great stack. A fire alarm, signage, smoke detectors. <laughs> the students stay up the whole night decking the place and all this stuff. Honestly, you couldn't blow a puff of smoke without setting an alarm off by the time they'd finished. And anyway, the next day, the inspector comes. And of course, he comes in. And to his absolute amazement, he walks around the cathedral and the outbuildings. And he concludes, I have no option other than to pass this place as fit for habitation and so it went on now actually the end of that story is eventually those homeless families were rehoused and those buildings were sold for a pittance to a young Pentecostal church that had a heart for the community and ten years later one of those students got married in that cathedral full of people and at least half of them with the homeless families they got to know 10 years beforehand. Now, what's the point of this story and how does it help us answer the question that I haven't started to answer yet? Well, it, for me, it goes a little bit like this. Um, I reckon if you'd asked those men, and they would have all been men in the Catholic hierarchy, do you believe Jesus is the only way? Or if you'd asked them, do you believe Jesus is the Messiah? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe he died on the cross to save people? I think they would have probably answered yes. I think they would. And yet somehow they ended up in a place where they set the full resources of the Catholic Church, as it happened to be, against the very people that Jesus had come to serve and to meet and to help and to love. And then there were a bunch of kids who didn't have very much 
who did capture something of this Jesus. And they lived out something that is true, that somehow in this mystery, God wants to involve us in working out his plans and purposes. And something needs got met, relationships were built. And I would say, going back to those words of John, they found life. They lived life. Needs got met. Impossible things got turned around. Relationships were formed. Stuff happened. So for me, it brings us back to, it's not what you know. It's what you do with what you know. And it's the spirit with which people ask questions that will determine how they respond to the answer. Because if we go back to John's gospel, he talks and describes many of the miracles that Jesus did. He talks about, you know, when Jesus spat on the ground, made mud, put it on a blind man's eyes, and the blind man saw. Some weird stuff there. But he did that. Try and put Jesus in a box, he'll jump out of it. Where's the rule book for doing it? I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it as an approach. But that's what he did. His friend, who he was so moved, his friend Lazarus, he was so moved that when he found out he died, he called him out of the grave. He called him back to life. The witness stories. And Jesus healed a leper. Actually, I'm not sure that those miracles are necessarily what those people would have remembered. Sure, they got recorded. I don't think that's what they would have remembered. Because when Jesus healed a leper, he did something even more significant. He touched a leper. Nobody touched a leper. I mean, nobody touched a leper. Jesus touched a leper. Because I think what the people would have remembered is the love. It's the love. If you're filled with the spirit of love, you can't go on a crusade. Go and Google Francis of Assisi. That's a different response to a crusade, if you know anything about the story of Francis of Assisi. That's a completely different, same situation, different response, different spirit at work. So I'm just coming back to this fact that John wanted us to know about Jesus, yes, so we could believe, but though so we could have life. So we could have life. And if you take the life out of that, then I think we get back to a game of top trumps when we sort of think about this game, this question. So, for example, in the book of John, Jesus is quoted as saying, I am the living bread. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the true vine. In the book of John, it is quite clear what Jesus says about himself. But as I say, the issue, for, the issue that I just commend to you to think about as you have this discussion, 
whether it's back to the story in Kensington, Philadelphia, or whether it's what can lead people to take an art, to take that kind of knowledge and go off with arms to fight and bring warfare or to do something different. Have a think about what Jesus says about himself. Just go and have a look at those 21 chapters of John. It's an incredible narrative. It's an incredible narrative. Have a think about what that tells you. But don't just leave it at that. Because in that 30th verse of the 20th chapter, he talks about, I want you to believe, I want you to know this person, Jesus, so that you might have life, not an argument. So you can have life. And Jesus will reveal himself in the way he chooses. Now, there's a huge spectrum of opinion here, I'm sure, about how communicating Jesus works itself out. But I don't think you can talk somebody into the kingdom of God. I mean, people have tried. It's not, it's not my preferred style, I have to say. Um, because if, if you get so into the book of John, you just can't stop and you tip over into the next book, you find yourself in the book of Acts. And then you come across this guy, Saul. He was a smart cookie. He knew the Bible, such that it existed then, by heart. He was a scholar. And he didn't like these people that followed Jesus and called themselves Christians. And he was pretty good at tracking them down, persecuting them and getting them strung up. He was pretty good at it. I think he would have got a gold star in his appraisal for that year because he was good at it and then he had an encounter with Jesus and everything changed so as you go and have these discussions explore the book of John if you want I think it's a great place to stimulate the discussion try not to put Jesus in a box and I just have a great belief if you like I hope it might even be faith, that if people meet Jesus, then with Jesus, they'll work it out. They'll work it out, the questions they have. And it's never about one answer to one question, that's it. It's a lifetime. Because it's about having life. And every que- any question that any of us has got about any subject at any time, bring it before Jesus. Because there's always, there's, there's always a way through. There's always a way through. So, on that bombshell, <laughs> um, let's just pray. And I hope that helps you reflect on this subject. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that questions are good. We thank you that questions that we don't immediately know the answer to are good. Questions that we struggle with are good. We thank you that actually we live in a land when we can explore them. We can think also, Lord, I pray, about how others might feel. Help us, Lord, to explore this gift of the Bible. 
And we ask, through the Holy Spirit, that you help each one of us understand more, then question more. And may it help us, Lord, do life and face the issues of everyday life, just as you did.